Church, nice to see you. I hope you've been making merry. Everybody sufficiently married up, all that? Yeah. Glazed over? Feel like you've been hit by a bus? Anybody? Yeah. It's a good fatigue, though, isn't it? It's a sweet fatigue. You know, we've been enjoying each other and our families and reminiscing about the birth of Jesus, so it's all good. We've been talking about uh, these angelic visitations through the month of December here at Union Chapel and their encouragement, admonition to us to not be afraid. Don't be afraid of what God asks you to do or what people think of you or, or what happens to you when you die. And today we want to pick up the story right after the angels have left, have left the shepherds on the hillside heralding the birth of Jesus. And I want to talk about uh, life after the angels leave Today, So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 15 to 20. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll put the uh, words on the screen for you. Our custom at Union Chapel is to stand as we hear God's Word. So as you're able, thank you for standing. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. The first phrase is the key verse for our uh, consideration this morning. And it says, When the angels had left, when the angels left, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now think about the angels. The resplendent glory of the angels uh, present in the Christmas story. The phenomenon of the angels first to Mary and then to Joseph and then to these shepherds. Uh, you think about the wise men who had traveled from the east. These magi who, who came to this obscure little place and, and brought these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then the supernatural moments that followed the conception when Mary visits her kinswoman, Elizabeth, and they are both pregnant. Elizabeth passed childbearing years and yet now pregnant with John the Baptist and Mary carrying Jesus, and they meet each other, and the Holy Spirit falls upon Elizabeth, and the baby, John Baptist, leaps in the womb of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth begins to prophesy to Mary about her distinguished faith, and the potency of this child that she is bearing. It's a, it's a very poignant and powerful moment in the, in the history of the church. And then you think about all of the miracles, in, including going to the temple eight days after the birth of Jesus, and there are these two saints, a woman named Anna, a prophetess, and this old saint named Simeon. They see this child eight days old, the baby Jesus, and Anna begins to prophesy over this baby. You're the hope of the nations, the hope, the, the hope of Israel and, and to the Gentile world. And she prophesies about Messiah. And then Simeon takes this baby in his arms and says, I can, I can die now, I can fall asleep now because my eyes have seen the Lord's Christ. It's very powerful, full of the glory of God, the angels of God, the supernatural characteristic of the virgin conception There were astronomical signs, visitations, dreams, prophecies, all of that. All of these pyrotechnics. Now watch, here we go. And all of that came to an end. Lots of 
lots of fireworks, and then quiet. And it's great when the angels show up. We can agree to that. But at some point or another, the angels leave. They're with us. It's great. It's fun. It's exciting. It's dynamic. But then they leave. So the glory of the supernatural at some point or another will yield to that which we most frequently understand is the common natural world. See if you agree with this statement. There's a lot about life, a lot about leadership, a lot about parenting and work and relationships, and even our own spirituality that feels more natural than it does supernatural. Feels more common than it does extraordinary. A lot more of life is lived, it seems, without angels rather than with them. Now, I've never seen, knowingly seen an angel. Now, the Bible claims that we actually entertain angels unaware from time to time in our lives, and that certainly can be possible. Uh, we have a parishioner in our church who's 91 years old. And she, I was just with her recently, and she has survived three plane crashes. I know. I said, you should write a book. <laughs> and she's also survived two rather serious automobile accidents. And she told me this story just recently that when she experienced this first automobile accident, that the first person on the scene of her accident was a man who pulled up beside the accident in his car, which she could describe. He gets out of his car, and he's the first one to respond to care for her. And so... And so he, can, he, he was dressed a certain way. He, she can describe his features, all of that. He helped her. Then years, years pass, and she's in another serious automobile accident. Emergency personnel are on the scene helping her, and she glances across the road, and a man has pulled up in his car, the same car. The same guy gets out of his car. He's dressed identically to the way he was dressed years before when he helped her in, the, in a prior accident. Ooh, <laughs> probably angels unaware. Years ago, I was in Mumbai, Mumbai, Bombay, India, and one of the guys traveling with me was Joe Bennett. He was in our church. Uh, Joe's in heaven today. And, and we were on a very busy street in Mumbai one morning, and a little, a little street girl, a little orphan girl, a little, just a, one of the 200,000 children who live on the streets of Mumbai, India, and she just stuck to us. She, she was like gum on the bottom of our shoe. We couldn't shake her. And she just dogged us, followed us all morning that morning. And we walked up to across uh, a street, all of which are very busy. And Joe stepped up on the curb of the street to cross. And this little girl standing right next to him. And I was several paces behind. Now, you may know that India was colonized by Great Britain years ago. And so people in India still drive on the left side of the road where we drive on the right side of the road, just as it is in Great Britain. And so Joe stepped up to the curb of the street, and he looked to his left, which is common for us because we anticipate immediate traffic coming from our left as we look to the right lane. And, and, uh, and so he looked left, and there was nothing there. And so he let his weight start to go forward like this to step off the curb into the street. And I saw developing a car coming on the left side of the road, which is their custom and this thing is really moving quickly down the street, and it's right there. And I see Joe, and I, you know, and I, it's like one of those moments where you want to reach him and grab him, and I can't get there from where he is. And, and this little girl standing right next 
to him that we couldn't shake all morning. She's just with us all morning. And just as he leaned forward, she saw what was happening. She just put her hand out like this, just put her arm out like this, and it stopped his momentum. And he, and he paused on that curb, and that car just went right past, not three feet away from him. I always wondered if uh, she was a little angel in you know, anthropomorphic form. Sometimes God allows the angels to put on like an earthly figure and, and serve. I've preached thousands of sermons over the years in many different places, and on five occasions, five occasions, now I want you to see the, the ratio, thousands of sermons, but on five occasions, people have approached me after a, a particular message I've preached, and they've described to me that they saw an angel standing behind me while I was preaching. And on three of those occasions, it was a white glow with a silhouette or a shadow in the middle with some definition. But on two of those occasions, one time in southern Indiana, in Henryville, Indiana, when I was a very young preacher, and years after that in Tennessee when I was preaching there for a friend in a, in a Methodist church in Clarksville, Tennessee. On those two occasions, years apart, people came up to me after a sermon on those occasions and described to me this angel in specific detail, both of them years apart, describing in intricate de detail a corroboration of the physical features of this creature. So I could describe this angel to you right now. Its size, its girth, its facial expression, its garb, because of these witnesses. Now, I've never seen this creature. Now, I, I, I share that with you, nonetheless, to remind you that these angelic moments are rare. You know, so thousands of sermons, five times people have noticed something like that. And so, and so, so we have to put it in context. We have to get perspective. For example, in Jesus', in Jesus life, there were 12 years between his birth and his bar mitzvah. You know, he's born, he's circumcised, then 12 years pass to his bar mitzvah, and then from his bar mitzvah, another 18 years or so before uh, his first miracle in his public ministry, which was turning water into wine at the wedding at Canaan of Galilee. And so, so we have these years, these gaps. So it's, it's 12 years and then 18 years. And as far as we know, there was 12 years, 18 years, so uh, 30 years, which must have been for Mary and Joseph, years of thundering, ponderous, plotting, natural routine, just the dailiness of life. And I think there's something we can learn from this. I can't believe there weren't moments when Mary asked the question, now, where are the angels? So you know, I could really use an angel today. You know, where, where is the prophets? Where, where are they announcing, the, announcing God's presence? You know, I could use, really use a caravan from the east bringing some gold. You know, the rent's got to be paid next month. And I could really benefit from an angel. Joseph, we know, disappears from the story. We don't even know where he went. We're left to speculate. Maybe he's a little older. Maybe he has passed away. We're not even sure where he is. Maybe Mary has become a single mother. We know that she and Joseph had natural children together, and so she may be a single mother trying to raise this little parcel of natural kids plus this one little special guy. And wouldn't you know that she would, she would be asking the question, you know, where are the angels now? As a single mom trying to feed all these mouths and make ends meet. And so there's these, these pressure points. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you just three ideas that we can learn from this story today 
that I think can be applicable to your life. This is a brief sermon. You may have noticed that that, for, that 10 o'clock service was out early when you got here. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, but that's because the sermon is short. It's a holiday sermon. Welcome. So here's the first, here's the first point. There's just three. Here's the first one. You might want to write this down. Appreciate the supernatural moments. Appreciate those. Don't despise the moments of God's supernatural splendor in your life. Receive them. Be grateful for them. Talk about them. Remember them. Cherish them. There's, a, there's an intriguing little passage at the end of the book of Exodus which reminds us that Moses, when he was about to hand the mantle of leadership off to Joshua, began to rehearse all of the miracles that had taken place in his life. And he talked about the ten plagues in Egypt and, and how God had humbled Pharaoh and, and that the nation had plundered Egypt on the way out. And when they got to the Red Sea, you know, you should have been there that day. It was amazing that God parted the sea. We walked across on dry ground, and then we got out in the, in the desert. And, and I'm telling you, there was nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And God supernaturally provided food and water for us. And he, and he told these miracles. And it, it was all good for him to be doing that and to rehearse those things. But the point I want to make is that it's right to think about them, it's right to remember them, it's right to cherish them, but, and I want to just shift your, your, your thinking, don't cling to them. And don't cling to these miraculous moments in your life as if you can't go another day without them. Well, God, I'm just not going to preach another sermon until you make that angel show up again. I just can't go on. If I don't know the angel's there, so you, you don't want to do that because you'll lose perspective. You get out of balance. So the right word is appreciate the supernatural moments. And then here's the second point it's on your outline. Appreciate the natural moments as well. There's much to be said for the common and the ordinary parts of life. Much to be said there. Now, now listen, see if you agree with this uh, statement. We live in a culture that, that, that is utterly addicted to the spectacular. Do you agree? Addicted to, to the spectacular. Everybody has to one-up the other person. The show has to be more grand, the display more expensive, the fireworks bigger and better. And, of course, things should be done well. They should be done with excellence. We should try the best we can. But, but if you become addicted to the spectacular, then it can corrupt the way you think about everything else in life. It can just warp you and cause you to have a distorted view of reality. You know, for example, the person who says, look, I'm not going to go to church every week. I'm not going to sit there in church and listen to those boring... The sermons are boring. And I'm just not going to sit there for that. Well, here's a news flash for you. A lot about life is boring. Boring happens. Boring happens. It's part of the deal. Well, I hate school. It's so boring. Yeah, but wait a minute. What you need to know is that algebra as it turns out, is not spectacular. It's not the latest Star Wars movie. It's just not that. It's, it's like important and needs to be learned, but it doesn't come with fireworks, basic math skills. So it can have a touch of boring to it. And you can't live from spectacular to spectacular. You just can't do it. You can't carve out the 12 years between the birth of Jesus or the 18 years between the bar mitzvah and the first miracle, Jesus, as it turns out, spent 30 years of natural life preparing for three years of supernatural ministry. 30 years of normal, common, for three years of extraordinary. So you see the ratios, and you can maybe make the application. 
I want to put this statement up on the screen. It's one of life's truths. This is one of the things I've learned over the years. If I was going to put like the, the top 10 life lessons that are true, truisms of life, this would be one of those. And I want to put it on the screen for you. It's this. It's how you live your ordinary days that will determine whether or not you have special moments. It's how you live your ordinary days that will determine whether you have special moments. Does that make sense? It's really true. Let me, let me give you something to think about. The most important day of the week is Tuesday. It's Tuesday. It's not Monday, the first day of the work week. It's not Wednesday, hump day, hump day. It's not that, you know, down the hill toward the weekend. It's, it's not the weekend. It's not even the Sabbath. Not Sunday. The most important day of the week is Tuesday. Now, let me explain that. Everything seems boring on Tuesday. There's no big crisis on Tuesday. Sometimes we can turn everything into a big crisis. Do you know people in your life who just live from drama to drama, crisis to crisis? I mean, you, you find them, you walk up to them, hey, how are you doing? They just go, oh, God, oh, God. And they got to tell you this story. And you, and you just want to say, you know, as the world turns, can't you just go through one day without the drama? So it's not Angel Tuesday, and it's not Crisis Tuesday. It's just Tuesday, Tuesday. Now, this metaphorical Tuesday I'm describing are the moments and the days in our life that require a steady, faithful, consistent, persistent application of what you know is the right thing to do. It's the thing that God has set right in front of you. You know that that's God's will and plan for your life. It may not be exciting. It may not be adventuresome. It may not be, it may not be uh, all that. But it's what God has put in front of you, and you know that's the right thing to do. So the best way to live your life on, on an average Tuesday is to just do that thing which God has placed immediately in front of you and do it as well as you can. Do it dutifully. Do it carefully, do it faithfully, do it persistently, do it well. And you will be honoring God. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was asked the question, how do you stay faithful? She answered that question with one sentence. And this is what she said. She said, quote, devote one hour to God each day and avoid doing what you know to be wrong. Devote one hour to God each day and avoid doing what you know to be wrong. You could save a lot of money in therapy if you just did that. How many lives could be preserved if you just follow that simple advice? Spend one hour of God with, one hour of God, with God each day and avoid doing what you know to be wrong. In 30 years of Jesus' life in the carpenter shop, you know there had to be days when he didn't feel like going to work. There were days when he cracked his thumb with a hammer. I wonder what Jesus said when he cracked his thumb with a hammer. Probably not what I say when I crack my hand. You know, days when he didn't feel all miraculous and messianic. You know, days when he just went, you know, I wonder when the miracles are going to start. Dang. Or dad. Or whatever, whatever you say. I don't know. Mary's remembering all these things. The first miracle, watch this, the first miracle came after 30 years of routine. 
of just regular days, getting up, making the bed, cleaning the house, going to school, doing your homework, going to your job, doing it well, spending time in prayer, read your Bible, go to worship, serve the less fortunate, all on a metaphoric Tuesday when I don't feel like it, I don't have the energy, I don't feel passionate, I just messed up again, I feel all alone, and that is when life really matters. And in fact, on those Tuesdays I'm describing is actually when you are at your very best. It's the best you there is on that day. Now, it leads me to the third point, the last point in the message is this. Be faithful every day and wait for God's timing. Be faithful every day and wait for God's timing. This is true in the routines of life. It's true in your spiritual worldview. If you think following Jesus has just been one, one big revival meeting after revival meeting, you know, and I, okay, God, I'm going to get up as soon as you give me some goosebumps. I can get on with my day if you just touch me one time. No. Get up. Get going. <laughs> Most of life is about leaning forward and just putting one step in front of the other. Most of life is just that. Most of life is just showing up. 90% of life is just showing up. You know, it's, it's, it's when, you're, when, you're, when your favorite song becomes, you can take this job and shove it, I ain't working here no more. When that song is in your heart and you go to work anyway and you give it your best, you work as unto the Lord. When you know it's not fulfilling, when you know it's not fun, when, it, when you know it doesn't energize you, but you do it because you know it's the thing God has put immediately in front of you. See, it's when I've had a fight with my wife or prepared a terrible sermon or feel all inadequate or discouraged that I'm at my best. In I'm at my best right now. You know, this is two days after Christmas. You folks are semi-comatose. <laughs> you should have seen me last night. This was Saturday night, the day after Christmas. You know, people come in through a driving rainstorm, and they're exhausted, and they sit down like a lump. You should have seen me. I was at my best. Now, here's, here's my rationale. I know if I can get through this sermon today, God might send an angel. Because I don't, I don't know. I just remind myself that this is immediately what's in front of me is my responsibility, and so I'm going to do it the best I can. And as I do it the best I can, it may just be normal, routine, and common. But who knows? God might send an angel. But the only way we're going to find out is if we are all are present and accounted for. The only way we're going to know is if I'm here doing my best and you're here doing your best. We're all doing our role. You're doing your part and I'm doing my part. We're all here. And I just say it again, 90% of life is showing up. When it's not easy, it's not convenient, it's not fun, blah, blah, blah. Right? Are you following this? This is really good preaching. <laughs> because God could do something today. You know, God could manifest himself today in some way that would change people's lives. God could do something in this room today that we'd be talking about 50 years from now. But the only way we'd find out is if we were here. And just doing our best. Yeah. We have in this culture, for example, a way out of balance emphasis on weddings. There's a neurotic, psychotic, bridezilla phenomenon that's happening in our culture right now around weddings. 
It's all about the wedding, and there's very little emphasis on the marriage. And so if you're a young person and you're imagining your wedding to come in the future and you're already making plans in your mind about that special day and you can see all the details and all the amenities and, and all the extravagance and the, the wonders of that special day, I just want to give you some perspective. Don't get that out of whack. Don't lose perspective on that. We spend way too much time on weddings and way too little time planning for the marriage. Let me tell you what follows the honeymoon. Here's what follows the honeymoon. First day back at work. <laughs> now, I hate, to, I hate to pop your balloon, but that day, that first day back at work is much more important than sitting on the beach in the Bahamas on your honeymoon. Much more important. So here's what I'm saying. Celebrate God's presence, but don't sit around waiting for an angel to appear and don't bail out on the preparation process that God provides for you. And this is what happens to us. All too often we give up. I want to put one more statement on the screen for you this morning. And I, I'm sorry, it's, it's, a little, it's a little strong, but, but I, I believe this is true. And, and we need to be sobered by it. Let me just put it up there. We live in a culture that is addicted to aborting things. The reason I think we're addicted to it is because we see it so frequently done. We, we abort marriages. We abort babies. We abort college. We abort careers. We abort churches. Anytime it gets boring or unspectacular or inconvenient or painful or just plain doesn't make me happy, then we justify the abortion on those grounds alone. And so we give up and we cash in and we give up. And what I've observed over the years is so many people who give up just before God was going to send an angel. And the admonition, the... the the, the great message of the Christmas story is the angels left, but now here's a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary and a, and a family of people who now put their nose down and for the next 30 years, they do the right thing every day until that boy's ready for his destiny. And they didn't give up and they didn't cash it in and they, and they didn't go home. They, they followed Jesus honorably. I was... Really inspired a few years ago, I approached a woman after service one day whose husband had lost her job. I knew the story, and so I went over to encourage her if I could. And she looked at me, and her countenance was so great. She was, she was so uh, at peace, and her countenance was so hopeful. And I said, I'm really sorry. I've been praying for you and your family. And if there's anything we can do to be helpful to you, I hope you'll ask. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor Greg. And she had this smile. She said, you know, our, you know our family. We've been through a lot worse than this. God is going to take care of us. And I walked away from that going, man, I am so encouraged by her attitude. I went to encourage her, but she inspired me. And I walked away going, that's right. God's going to take care of them. I believed it. And he did. Let me tell you the story about a young man and his new wife serving in the administration in a Christian university in Florida. They were expecting their first baby, and they found out during the pregnancy that the baby had multiple physical issues, which would be a tremendous challenge for this young couple. The doctor sat down and told them all the bad news, and in the world in which we live, advised the couple to have an abortion. And the doctor said, there's no need to have this baby and put yourself through this. The baby will require multiple surgeries, will require constant care, will not live a normal lifespan. 
so I recommend an abortion. You know the couple's response? They said, thank you, but we need a new doctor because you are talking about our baby. This is our baby. And so they're raising that little guy with all of his complications and all of his pain and all of his difficulties. And you know what I'd like to have have happen? I'd love to see an angel go into that boy's bedroom some night and heal him, cure him of all of his of his disabilities. Wouldn't you? I'd love to see a miracle happen. I'd love to see an angel show up for that one. But that hasn't happened yet. And in the meantime, they're living their lives like it's Tuesday every day. And here's what's to be admired. The report about this couple is that it hasn't changed their faith in God. In fact, it's strengthened their marriage. It's strengthened their faith. It's strengthened their resolve and their godly character. It has tempered their lives more and more fashioned into the image of Christ. And so they get up every day and they just do the deal. Now this plane's 100 feet off the ground and we're coming in for a landing. Here's the application and we'll be done. Watch this. In 2016, New Year's going to start very soon. You may be discouraged. You may be deflated. You may be confused. You may be fearful. Listen to your pastor. Do the right thing anyway. In spite of the drama, do the right thing anyway. You may not feel like going to work someday. Listen, there are lots of people who don't have work right now. Go to work and do it thankfully. You may not feel like being a Christian. I wake up like this some mornings. Jeez, I have to go be a Christian again. I don't want to be a Christian today. Listen, act like one anyway. You might rub off on yourself. By the end of the day, you go, I'm a Christian. Happy about it. Yeah. Just do the deal on Tuesday. Because the angels don't show up till Wednesday. Yeah. Let's pray. Bless everyone within the sound of my voice. I pray, oh God, with supernatural moments. I pray you would bless them with glory and splendor and wonder. But Lord, above all things, when there are no angels or splendor or wonder, bless us with resolve and courage and faithfulness. Take away from us the tendency to be addicted to the spectacular and hand us over to the dignity of doing our work and living our lives in an honorable way. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen. We